1: Another championship for the Golden State Warriors. How about that, huh? Unbelievable. And now basketball season is over. And I did a rant on this today. The NBA has got to be figuring out what has gone on with their league. The TV ratings for the NBA finals were awful. The game is not compelling or as compelling as it used to be. There are way too many blowouts. There were no intriguing finishes in the NBA finals between the Celtics and the Warriors. No games were within 10 points. So you didn't have the drama of a last minute possession or a final minute
2: sequence. All of that was missing. All of that gone in the NBA finals. The Miami Boston
1: series was one of the worst conference finals in league history
2: And yet it went seven games. Think about that. It went seven games. And it was horrible. It was awful. It was terrible. So, I mean, I don't know what the league needs to do. I mean, I have a couple of suggestions, but they
1: need to figure it out. So now we can turn our attention to the uh, NBA draft next week. But I just thought we would start out talking about what's wrong with the NBA. Because, again, the TV ratings were terrible in the playoffs. The NBA finals ratings were awful. The game itself is not compelling. The way the game is played now does not lend itself for as many close games as we used to have because of the three ball. And I don't think what we just witnessed in this year's NBA playoffs was an aberration. Okay. I don't, I think it's going to be, it's the new NBA. It's the way the game is played now. And I just think the league uh, needs to figure it out. They need to figure it out. So again, NBA draft next week. Uh, We'll hit on that. Uh, And it's father's day on Sunday. So I figured that we could spend some time and uh, talk about some, a uh, Father's Day memories. I, I, you know, not all of us were uh, blessed to grow up with a
2: father. Uh, there are those that lost their dad at an early age, or what have you. But for me, um, I mean, my entire life was shaped by my father.
1: My entire perspective on life was shaped by my father and then the sports connection was, I look back on it and can't believe how lucky I was to start going to national football league games at age three, no exaggeration, having season tickets for both the giants and the jets as a kid growing up, having an opportunity to go to New York ranger games on Sunday afternoons on occasion. Couldn't go to a Knicks game because you couldn't get tickets. My dad used to take us to the Milrose games, the indoor track and field event every year at Madison Square Garden. I'll never forget when he came home and
2: surprised my brother and I with all-star tickets to the National Hockey League game. And I've always shared this. We never had good seats at any event we went to.
1: Whether it was the Yankee game. I remember being at Yankee Stadium for my 10th birthday, and the Yankees were playing the Tigers. And my dad caught a foul ball. He didn't actually catch it, he had to run. Uh, my dad just bolted out of the seat, and he came back like 30 seconds later and handed me the ball for my birthday. I was 10 years old. And
2: I went back and looked at the box score just recently. There were only nine thousand people at the Yankees-Tigers game that night, and we were sitting in the upper deck along the third base line. Our seats
1: for the New York Giants at Yankee Stadium were in the bleachers. Uh, when we used to go to the Ranger games on Sundays, we would be in the uh, balcony section at Madison Square Garden. And you know that there was not one time. In my childhood, where I asked my dad or even thought about, gee, how come we're not sitting closer to the field or closer to the court or closer to the ice, it never, ever even registered with me. It didn't matter to me. The thrill of getting up in the morning, knowing I was going to watch the Giants and the Cowboys or the Giants and the Redskins or the Jets and the Colts or the Jets and the Bills or the Jets and the Patriots. Every Sunday, we were at an NFL game. We would go to church in the city. It took us about an hour to get there. And my dad would put my brother and I in the Sunday school at the community church of New York. and I'll always remember my dad coming to get my brother and I out early. and my dad had it just time to the second. We would walk into the bleachers at Yankee Stadium, literally as the national anthem was getting ready to be played. And I remember Robert Merrill, always with the national anthem. It was recorded, Bob Shepard, the public address announcer. And my dad would give me 75 cents and give my brother 75 cents. And that would buy two hot dogs, a soda, and an ice cream. That's it, 75 cents. And that was how my Sundays were spent as a child And I passed that right along to my boys and the bond that you have with sports. I I don't, I don't really know what else provides a bond like being at a game with your dad. And I'm I'm keeping it to fathers. I mean, I'm sure you had special moments at games with your mom or your aunt or your uncle, but you know, it's father's day. So we're talking about dads and whether you are a dad now or whether you shared incredible memories with your dad i'll never forget as a little boy my dad went to union college in new york and i remember him coming to get me out of school early to drive up to union college on a friday and i was a little kid at the time and i'll never forget this i had to go to the bathroom in the middle of the game but where we were sitting you couldn't there was no way and so I remember my dad passing me down on top of the fans. They would just have their arms outstretched and they literally passed me from row to row to row to row all the way down to where I could run to the bathroom. Their hands were all above their heads. And that's how I got out of the stands at Union College to go to the bathroom as a little kid. I mean, I have amazing memories. I was at some amazing games. We went to college basketball games at Kings Point. We went to college basketball games up at Union College, which was a four-hour drive. We used to go to college hockey games in Union when Ned Harkness was the coach, and they built a powerhouse program.
2: I mean, I have great memories of being at sporting events with my dad and my brother, really
1: for my entire childhood for my entire childhood. And I'll never forget my dad who had his own business and he was an insurance broker in New York City that was started by his father. It was called Matthew Napier and Company. And actually it was Matthew Napier and son. All right. And our games during the week, lacrosse games would start at four o'clock,
2: junior high and high school. And my dad didn't miss one lacrosse game that I played in, in junior
1: high or high school. I would always see my dad, literally, five minutes before the game start, come trekking across the field in a suit with a limp, because my dad tore his knee up playing college football. And I'll never forget that. I'll never forget my dad being at every single game, both football, We played high school football on Saturday, so that was not a problem. My dad didn't work on the weekends.
2: But my dad took the train into New York, Long Island Railroad, and every single lacrosse game, either home or on the road, my dad was there. Didn't miss one game. Not one game. As a matter of fact, my dad, in my sophomore year, had a terrible accident terrible accident where he walked through a plate glass hotel or plate glass door at a hotel horrible had a massive injury to his leg I mean it was very scary and my dad still did not miss the game he was wheeled out and
1: they had a makeshift bed for him on the side of the field so he could watch me play the game. That was my dad. Never missed a game, not one time. And I remember when I broke the scoring record for most goals in a season, we were playing at Page High School. And it was, for me, I mean, it was a big deal.
2: And I'll never forget breaking the record in the third quarter with my third goal. And, my coach went out into the field, grabbed the ball. I saw him turn around
1: and toss it up into the stands to my dad. I just thought that was so freaking neat. So those are the things that I remember. And I also will tell you that, you know, with my boys, we have had some amazing memories. And due to my job, and they were basically raised at Arco Arena. I mean, they really were. They were in their little carry case, going into games as infants, growing up as diehard fans, becoming friendly with the players. And, you know, there was a great opportunity and it was great for me to share that with them, particularly when I took them on the road for some games. Uh, but I think, the you know, without, without question, uh, the best time we ever had together was uh, at the Super Bowl in Indianapolis when the Giants beat the Patriots. It was an incredible experience. Um, I look at the pictures on a fairly regular basis, and it was something that, you know, you can't, you you can never take that away, those types of memories. So if you have any Father's Day memories that you'd like to share, uh, I'm here. We can take your phone calls on this Friday U.S. Open. Uh, Colin Morikawa is atop the leaderboard of five on the par with, I don't even know who this is, so forgive me, all right? And Dustin Johnson didn't either, so don't get on my case, all right? And I did not get a chance watch any of the golf today so forgive me all right but a qualifier and that's what makes this us open great um joel damon you ever hear
2: of him before he's still on the course right he's still playing and he also is tied with colin morikawa and he's through 15 through 15. you ever hear of him before you ever hear of Hayden Buckley, who's one shot off the lead at four under par?
1: I Again, i never heard of this guy. And it, it's a hell of a story that's developing at uh, the U.S. Open in Brookline, Massachusetts. One thing that is
2: not developing is Phil Mickelson. Uh, he was terrible uh, missing a cut at 11 over par. So
1: I'm looking at this. I'm looking at his last several tournaments. Not bad. Uh, Tied for 32nd at the Memorial. Tied for 63 at the Charles Schwab. Made a little bit of money there at 18 grand. Made 68 grand at the Memorial. Made 21 grand at the Wells Fargo Championship. So, you know, again, I'm sure if you are a diehard, diehard PGA fan, you know who Joel is. I don't. Good for him. He's from Washington. And right now, he's got a chance to take the lead at the halfway point uh, if he can for either 16, 17 or 18. He's two under for the day. Colin Mar- uh, Mo- Colin Morikawa, by the way, was uh, four under uh, for the day after a round one of 69. So 69 66 has uh, Colin Morikawa uh, tied for the lead. John Rahm is at four under. He was three under on the day. And Roy McElroy, also one shot off the pace, uh, shot a 69 one under par today. Uh, Scotty Scheffler, he's right there. Two shots off the pace at three. Under par, uh, shot a 70 in round one, and today uh, put a 67 on the board. So those are a couple of the uh, highlights. Uh, Kepka, by the way, multiple U.S. Open winner. Even par, uh, did not play well in round one, did shoot well today uh, with a 67. But again, Phil Mickelson, terrible, uh, is not going to be around uh, for the weekend. Had a horrible, horrible two days, again, at 11. Over par. All right, I want to hear your phone calls. Uh, Any thoughts on the uh, NBA finals or Father's Day? We can do it for you. All right, let's get the show started here. And we welcome in E Train on this Friday. E Train,
2: how are you? How are you? Nope, I lost E Train. E Train, do me a favor. I'm going to put you back in the audience and then we can. Uh, put you
1: right back on. All right. So hit me up. We'll try it one more time. I hope I don't have a bad connection. Can you all hear me? All right. Give me the round of applause there if you can hear me. All right. If I'm not having any issues. Okay. Good. I'm happy to see that. Want to make sure it's not where I'm at. Uh, e train, let's do it again, man. When you get in a better area, uh, or we'll try it again. Here we go. Always love to hear from uh, E train. So we'll see if we can get him on now. What's up, man? Can you hear me now?
3: Yeah. Grant, can you hear me?
1: Yep. I got you good, buddy. Go ahead.
3: Hey, happy Friday. Listen, you've talked to us a lot about your lacrosse career. I would love to hear some of your football stories.
1: Well, as you're talking about as a player in high school or are you talking about, uh, you know, I started playing uh, football uh, as a kid. And then I I didn't really I I stopped playing at a very young age. And then I uh, played in junior high school and was a uh, defensive lineman. And for whatever reason, my coach, uh, in when we went to school, seventh, eighth, and ninth was junior high school. And for whatever reason, my coach in ninth grade did not like me. I'll never forget his name. His name was Leonard Mintz, M I N T Z. And I very rarely played in ninth grade. And then when I went to high school and I went out and tried out for uh, the JV team, um, I was not projected to be playing that much. And we had a scrimmage one day and I was playing defensive tackle and I must have made eight or nine tackles, several behind the line of scrimmage. And I'll never forget the name of my coach. I can't remember his first name, but his last name was McMillan. And he walked up to me and he goes, man, what the hell got into you today? I didn't know you could play like this. And I never left the field after that. I was what they called a strictly. I didn't play offense. I only played defensive line. And I started every game that year. And then I started uh, on the varsity uh, my next year as a junior. And then was all division in my senior year. Uh, but I was really, my forte was lacrosse. Uh, I was uh, all county. I missed being a, an All-American by one vote. And went to college to play lacrosse. And that was my sport. But I loved playing high school football. It was great. We had a phenomenal, phenomenal coach. His name is John Miller. I probably learned more about life uh, from John Miller than any other person other than my dad. He was a phenomenal uh, influence on my life. He was a great man and somebody that shaped my life in addition to my father. So I was really, really blessed. Matter of fact, my, my sophomore year when I was on the JV, uh, the varsity was uh, the best team in New York State. Uh, their quarterback ended up going to North Carolina and played for the North Carolina Tar Heels, Matt Kupec. Uh They had their running back went to Penn State. I mean, they were a hell of a team. They were they were the state champions uh, when I was a sophomore, but I wasn't on that team. I was on the JV team.
3: Very cool. So you think your junior high coach wasn't playing you because he was a Jets fan <laughs> and he didn't like having yeah, a Giants you know the Giants?
1: That could very team? well be. I don't know what the reason was. I thought I should have been playing, but uh, you know, it was out of my control. But the the very next year, you know, going from ninth grade to tenth grade when I went to high school and was on the JV team after that scrimmage that day. I was on the field in first string defense and never left the field for the rest of high school.
0: Very cool. Well, thank you
3: so much for sharing your stories with your dad. I mean, I did. it's really cool thank that you, you had such a good experience. We appreciate it.
1: Thank you, buddy. Appreciate it, man. Be good. All right, let's move Hi. along. And uh, why don't we uh, chime in and say hello to Ryan on this Friday Father's Day weekend. Hey, Ryan, how are you today?
3: Doing well. How are you doing, Grant? Happy early Father's Day. I'm very well.
1: Same to you, sir.
3: Thank you. I appreciate it. So um, I'd imagine you'd have to have a little bit more meat on your bones if you were playing on the D-line in high school.
1: Yeah, you got to remember, though, I mean, I was in high school. uh, I graduated in high school in 1977, and it wasn't like it is today. I mean, I was only maybe, I think I was 190, 195, and 6'2", so, you know, it wasn't like it is today. I'll never forget my first game in high school, my varsity year. I went up a guy, I went, I'll went. i never forget this, never, ever forget this. Uh, we were playing a high school team named Burner High School, and they had a left tackle by the name of Henry Fields. And Henry was already projected as the best lineman anywhere on Long Island and one of the top linemen in the entire New York State. He ended up going to play at Purdue and got a scholarship and actually ended up starting as a freshman at tackle for Purdue. And I'll never forget this as long as I live. I'm waiting. They they win the toss. They get the ball. I run out onto the field and I'm on my knee, you know, waiting for them to come out of the huddle on defensive line. And I'll never forget this. Henry Fields comes out of the huddle and comes walking right up to the line of scrimmage. And I'm looking at him and I couldn't see the, the running backs. He was so big and so massive. And I'm literally going, oh, my God. And my coach kept on telling me all week, we just want you to create a pile. Do not allow him to push you off the line of scrimmage. I actually made two tackles in that game. One was behind the line of scrimmage, which was very lucky. I was angling as if I was going to go to the outside. And at the snap of the ball, I took a quick inside charge. And it just so happened that the running back was going right into that spot. And I got lucky and made the tackle. As a matter of fact, we lost 13-0. We didn't even score. But I got the player of the week. And I believe I got the player of the week. They handed me, it was, a, it was sponsored by bank of America and I still have it. It's a little bank of America plaque and I still have it. And I believe my coach gave that to me for sacrificing my body uh, for the four quarters, but I'll never forget his name was Henry Fields. And when he came out of the huddle, I was like, Oh my God, I'm going to get killed today. So that, that was my memory.
3: It, that That's so cool. I, I have to say, um, I actually have a very similar story and I wanted to share a couple stories. If I, uh, give me a little bit of time Yep. but uh you know i grew up playing basketball and football at Elkheim high school with ed lombardi lance briggs uh ryan dinwiddie all those guys which i'm sure you're somewhat familiar with because that was somewhat of a dynasty yep. here in south sacramento um but we went to a basketball tournament that was down at saint mary's college and it was like one of those one day tournaments it was the martin luther king day tournament and we played Oakland Tech, and yep. I'm five nine, and i up, you know taking the
2: charge. And i mean Grant. The back. Ryan, I hate to do this
1: to you, man, but you're breaking up. I got a yeah. really bad connection. I, I'm I'm going to put you back. Ryan, I'm putting you back in the audience. See if you can get in a little better area. You're breaking up on me, and I'm having trouble hearing you, and I really want to hear your story. So while we wait for uh, Ryan to get in a better area, let's check in with Jeff. Jeff, uh, it's good to hear from you on this Friday. What's up, Jeff?
4: Hey, Grant. Happy Father's Day this weekend to you.
1: Same to you, partner.
4: Thank you. Thank you. Well, uh, well, I'll tell you a little story first, then we'll get into the lawyer. So my Favorite memory uh, of going to a game with my dad is he coached a little league team. The uh, we were called the Reds in San Mateo Little. League. You know San Mateo is down by San Francisco, right? You know the peninsula. Yes, Colorado. of course. Anyway, I was born in yep. Burlingame. Any rate, um, we went to Candlestick, and back then in the '60s, you know, my dad. My dad also was the giant uh, Willie Mays's mechanic. He worked for San Mateo. Chrysler Plymouth, and they furnished Willie a uh, pink a pink Imperial with a say hey on the yeah. back. And I'd always ask my dad to get me an autograph, but he went he would He had Herman Franks, uh, with, uh, you know. He let me look in the trunk with all the Giants uniforms back then, and uh, Willie McCovey and all all basically. But anyway, he took us to the the game. And all the kids, I mean, this is when you took all the kids, I mean, the whole team, and it was bat day. And can you, I mean, can you remember going to the bat days and the kids all pounding the bats? I mean, some kids would pound the wooden bats, and if they weren't the, the most expensive bats, I think Adirondack or whatever, but, and sometimes.
1: <laughs> Yeah, they don't even do it anymore because they don't even do it anymore because the, we, we know that there would be fans that we had killed in the stands. I used to go to Bat Boy all the time as a kid and was praying that I'd get Mickey Mantle's bat. But go ahead.
4: Yeah, so, but I remember just knocking the bat on the cement of the stadium and the, and a choir, the whole, all the people would, would do it. All the fans would do it. And you just hear this clunk, 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 just the bats going. Oh man, I missed that. That was I mean you I mean yep. it's such a
1: those are great days.
4: That was you know, that was that was a fun time. But anyways, uh hey uh Draymond Green decided to shut his mouth, put his head down and play a game last night. Yeah, until after the game. Oh yeah, yeah, he yeah, he had to. yeah, he, he did. I didn't learn he's I didn't learn a thing. Didn't learn I mean the guy is so prideful when they ask him would you learn? I didn't learn nothing about myself. Oh uh, it's ridiculous. Ridiculous. Yeah. But I mean, at least during the game he 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 played within I mean he played he finally played a damn game, you know, and and God bless Curry, you know, Curry, Clay never did really get off. But Curry Curry you know, he did I, I did I was you know, I didn't I don't know if Wiggins he didn't do enough to, you know, get the MVP but he was sure darn close. And I mean, they, I mean, they did it. And so, uh, I guess,
1: well, Wiggins wasn't going to get the, in order for Wiggins to get the MVP, he would have had been clear cut head and shoulders above anyone else. Meaning Curry, you knew Curry was the sentimental favorite. And if Curry was even close to being the MVP, which he was more than close, he was going to get it. So in order for Wiggins to get the MVP in this series, he would have had to be brilliant way above Curry. And he wasn't
2: right.
4: Right. Right. He was the sentimental favorite.
1: Anyways, yep, look at, look,
4: looking back, I mean, how Wiggins got to the team was basically because, uh, you know, with uh, uh, Durant leaving and they trade for Russell and then yep. uh, trade Russell for Wiggins and they traded some picks and they end up getting they end up Kaminga, yep. who's going to be a future star. And uh, uh, I don't know if they keep this yep. team together, they keep Looney or Payton, or they let these other kids pull and Kaminga.
1: You know, it really doesn't matter. All they got to do is keep Curry. And if they have Curry, it really doesn't matter what else they do. And that's the reality of the situation.
4: Well, I, I do think that he does need some support. It is hard to win by yourself. Look at Durant.
1: No, 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 no. I didn't mean that. I didn't mean, I didn't mean that he can win by himself. What I meant was, as long as you have him, you can get the other pieces that you need to fit uh-huh. around him. What I'm saying is the other pieces are, are interchangeable, in my opinion. As long as you have Curry you are going to be in contention every single year. No, he can't do it by himself. You're 100% correct. And listen, you, you the Warriors do have a, a, a large talent base. But all I'm saying is, as long as you have Steph Curry, you can build around him and you you don't have to have the same players that you have on the team this year. I mean, look at the different pieces of the puzzle that the Warriors have had winning championships. But as long as you have Curry, you're good.
4: Yeah, he's he's the main he's the common denominator, right? Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. He, I, I, what do they say about Reggie Traction? He's the straw that stirs the drink, uh, right?
4: Oh yeah, oh yeah, Mr. October. Yeah,
1: so there you right. go. Steph Curry's Mr. June.
4: <laughs> <laughs> oh, I hope that gets I hope that gets that that catches on. So the latest thing, my last thing, I don't want to keep you all day. Uh, so the Kings. I was reading an article. I think I sent it to you on social media. Uh, there's like four or five teams really ringing the phones to get that that trade that number four, and uh, you know, like I've said all along, I really like the Knicks. One of those players, either RJ Barrett or Randall, but I don't know if they'll give one of them up.
1: I don't see how Randall plays with Sabonis. I, I don't see how that works. Um, and as far as what you read and what you hear, I, I don't really pay attention to that. I, don't, I believe that all general managers are calling all other general managers leading up to the draft. So do I think the number four pick is coveted by some teams? I do. Uh, would I make a trade if I'm Sacramento? I would. I would not make a draft selection uh, in terms of keeping a player. I would make a trade and get a player that I already know is good. But as far as Randall goes, I don't really see how his game fits in with Sabonis. So I I I, I don't know how that would be the right fit.
4: I, I don't... I don't know much about Barrett. What does he do? What, what, what well, he's the, a good player, he...
1: but I mean, but, but, you know, you, you have to make sure, all right, again, we're talking about a Sacramento team that has not been in the playoffs since 2006. Okay. So you need not only to make sure
4: right.
1: that you get a good player, you need to make sure that you get a player that fits in with everything that you're doing. And that's why I am not, you know, like Barrett last year, I know he averaged, what, 20 points a game, okay? Uh, but that's fine and dandy. But will he fit in with the other parts of what the Kings have? You know, he shot well from three-point land. Uh, I think he was, you know, 34%. I mean, he's a good player, but you're going to need more than just R.J. Barrett for the number four pick in the draft. What what position does he play? Well, he's six six, and, you know, uh, 220 pounds. So he, he plays multiple positions, which are like, I mean, he's technically a shooting guard, but he can play small forward as well.
4: Well, okay. I got you. So kind of like a Harrison Barnes.
1: No. Um, uh, yeah, I, I that's yeah. Uh, okay. You can call him that. I mean, he rebounds at six a game, you know, he can pass, um, uh, you know, his, his, mm-hmm. Uh, shooting was not great last year. I think I read where it was like 40%. So that doesn't – I'm not enamored with that. But um, we'll see. You know, we'll see. Again, I don't, I don't think the Kings are going to make a trade with the Knicks. So, Jeff, I'm going to get to some other calls. You have a good Father's right. Day. You take yeah. care. You too, man. Bye-bye.
5: Hey, folks, I want to talk to you about Z-Biotics. Let's face it, after a night with drinks, I don't bounce back the next day like I used to. I've got to make a choice. I can either have a great night or a great next day. That is until I found Z-Biotics. Z-Biotics pre-alcohol probiotic drink is the world's first genetically engineered probiotic. It was invented by PhD scientists to tackle rough mornings after drinking. Here's how it works. When you drink... Alcohol gets converted into a toxic byproduct in the gut. It's this byproduct, not dehydration, that's to blame for your rough next day. Z-Biotics produces an enzyme to break this byproduct down. Just remember to make Z-Biotics your first drink of the night. Drink responsibly and you'll feel your best tomorrow. And again, I was a bit on the fence about Z-Biotics initially, but then I was at a birthday party. Uh, My buddy and his wife had rented out a restaurant, and I had a couple of drinks, and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to give this a shot tonight. And you know what, folks? Believe me, it is the real deal. Vacations, weddings, birthdays, reunions. Hey, there's so much going on, right? Get the most... Out of your spring plans by stocking up on pre-alcohol now. Go to zbiotics.com/grant to get 15% off your first order when you use grant at checkout. Zbiotics is back with 100% money back guarantee, so if you're unsatisfied for any reason, they'll refund your money. No questions asked. Remember, go to zbiotics.com slash grant. Use the code grant at checkout for 15% off. Thank you, Zbiotics, for sponsoring this episode and our good times.
1: All right. Let's see if we got a Ryan better connection with Ryan. I want to hear what he had to say. Uh, Ryan, how are you, man? Let's see if we got you good. What's Grant,
3: up, Grant? can you hear me a little bit better?
1: Yep. Go okay. ahead, buddy.
3: So I'm going to cut. The, but your father uh, really rang home with me because my dad, I've told you before, he's a pilot, um, and he always only to beat every game for me when I was in high school. But he was also participating and doing all the cooking for the, uh, you know, stands and everything. And so it was just a really good, cool thing. I, I guess the question I have for you, because we grew up going to games at ARCO. I've sat on the floor. I've sat, you know, up in the bleachers. And how much did you learn from the people around you? that were also in the bleachers and how did that influence you getting into what you're doing
1: now oh i I learned i learned a lot i was in the bleachers at yankee stadium at the football games and i learned uh, an immense amount just listening to the conversation that they would have with my dad and back and forth that's a great great question Uh, I did learn a lot from listening to fans around me. I also learned that there are a lot of idiots that go to the games that have no idea what the hell they're talking about. So I did learn that as well. We had a guy that sat next to us at Giants Stadium when the Giants were a powerhouse in the 80s. And he was one of the and he was there every week. And he was one of the most obnoxious, dumbest fans that I've ever heard. Um, he was a Fairweather fan. He'd be killing Phil Sims one week, then loving Phil Sims the next week, then killing him, you know, and the guy was an idiot. So, you know, you, you, I did learn a lot, but I also learned that there are a lot of idiots that go to the games.
3: Oh, there's definitely knuckleheads. I could tell you stories about San Diego Charger right. games. Um, you know, one, this actually will hit home for you. There was uh, two guys that were firefighters on nine eleven. And they made trips to, or they made one trip a year to football games um, outside of New York. And they decided to do the Chargers game. It's the first one that Eli Manning was playing in, in San Diego. And there was a couple of guys, and this is actually one of the least classy and most classy things I've ever seen there were you know the knuckleheads that are waving flags and they were putting the flag over these gentlemen's head every time something happened with the chargers with the first down and yeah and wow. they ended up basically exposing themselves and putting it on one of you know their shoulders and uh that's a reason to go that's a fight and so a fight yep a suit, yep And, you know, we got it broken up, but the chargers arrested or the security arrested those gentlemen, and they upgraded the guys from New York, firefighters, to field passes.
2: Right. That's awesome.
3: It was the coolest thing, the worst and coolest thing I've ever seen. They did the right thing. But um, you know, i
1: Yep, they did the right yeah, thing. Yep. I, I've learned
3: so much from sitting up in the stands at Arco, and you know, though, I'm not saying you don't have true fans on the floor. You definitely do. But the diehards are up high, and you know, obviously you want to be close to the action. But at the same time, to be honest with you, it's almost funner to be yep. up with the people there because, just like you said, you learn a lot. So.
1: You know, you could also, the thing I remember as a kid, when I started going to the Giants games as three years old, uh, the Giants, you couldn't get season tickets. The waiting list was humongous. And you actually had to have your tickets in your will or you would lose them. So every season ticket holder had their tickets willed uh, to a family member. And I remember seeing the same fans week after week, year after year. I remember when we moved to the section, we were in section 127, At the new giant stadium and i'm not kidding you you would see the same fans but you would see now fans that i used to see as kids at my age now walking up and down with their kids it was generational and it was just one of the most phenomenal things to see the same people we and you didn't know you didn't know them you would just go hey man how are you you didn't know their names you know you would talk and stuff but and, but you it was just phenomenal to see people's lives grow up see kids then go with their kids it's just an amazing experience
3: absolutely do you think some of those fans hey, well, are being priced out
1: now oh hell yeah of course they are well I'll tell you this my brother is a school teacher and when the giants moved into their current stadium MetLife Uh, They had PSLs and they wanted $20,000 a piece for our tickets. And my brother called me up and I'm like, I'm not doing that. We can get tickets on the secondary market. Anytime we went, my brother was so upset. You know, he'd been a loyal uh, Giants fan throughout my, you know, my father before my brother and I were born. And my brother has never been back to a game since he has not been back to a Giants game. He has never been to MetLife Stadium because he was priced out. He said, I'm done. Now he's not done being a fan. He watches the games on TV, but he said, I'm done giving them my money. And so, yeah, after gosh, my dad had season tickets to the giants in the fifties and we had season tickets all the way up until they opened up the current MetLife stadium. And when they charged us $20,000 per seat, by the way, anyone, and I I said this and it's amazing when the Niners built their new stadium, Levi stadium in San Francisco, while that stadium was under construction, I would go on the radio and I would say, I'm telling you right now, if you buy a PSL, you will regret it and will be the worst decision you've ever made. And I go, and they're going to rob you, and they're going to, and I, I said the same thing to the Raider fans when they moved back to Oakland. And I cannot begin to tell. And I remember having Jed York on my radio show, okay, before the stadium opened, talking to him about what a disaster PSLs were in New York for the Jets and. We, I asked them point blank about it, and then a year later, only one year, one year later, I would have 49er fans call me up when they got their season ticket prices and and the PSLs, and they said, "Grant, you're right. I can't afford to go to the game anymore." That's exa- when that stadium was being built. I told 49er fans, "I go for you fans that are at the stick. I go enjoy it because many of you will not be going to the new stadium because you will not be able to afford it." And they thought I was crazy. And I will tell you, I can't. T- I got so many calls, Ryan from Niners fans that could not afford to get tickets at Levi stadium. But again, with the secondary market, the way it is now, save your PSL money. It's the worst investment you can make in your life and just buy tickets when you want to buy them.
3: Yeah, no, I agree. I, I actually remember that. Yeah. And, and they also lock you in grant to multiple year contracts.
1: Yes. Multiple years. So, yes.
3: Yeah. It, it's crazy, but Hey, I'm going to let everybody else hop on. Uh, sorry for the bad connection. We were coming back from Reno. We did a little, so uh, couple day trip. So uh, have a good one, brother. And have a great Father's Day. Good. Yeah, good for you. Absolutely. Talk to you soon. Thank you.
1: You too. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. good, good call there. Uh, yeah. You know, again, we all
2: have our memories, whether, you know, you as a dad or, you know, with your dad, but
1: the sports memories, you know. My dad, we'd always go play golf, not always, but when we did, there was a course out on Long Island called Comac. It was a beautiful public course. And it took us about 30 minutes to get there, but the rates were really low. And we would go play in the summer, you know, after 3 p.m., and we'd get the twilight rate. And we'd walk and we'd play golf, my dad and my brother and I. And, you know, again, my dad was not a, uh, he didn't spend money. I mean, his money was spent on his children. OK, and it we, we again, I used to go shopping with my dad on Saturdays at the A&P in Syosset, New York. And my dad would buy things, everything that was on sale. My dad always lived that way. Again, he didn't have a, he d- didn't care about the car that he was driving, didn't care about, you know, he didn't spend money on clothes. He spent money on only one thing for himself, and that was to be a member at the outdoor tennis club in Huntington. And it's where all of his friends were. And that was my dad's sanctuary. But we didn't play golf at 10 in the morning. where you had to pay full price.
2: We pay we, we played on the twilight rate. Okay. You know, we didn't sit at good seats for the New York
1: Giants. We sat at the bleachers. You couldn't even see the, when it got down inside the 30 yard line at the other end of the field, I mean, you could see, but you know what I'm saying? You know, that's just the way it was. We actually, we didn't have bad seats at Shea stadium. But, you know, again, we're not close to the field. And it never, never entered my mind. Never, I never even, I don't ever think I asked my dad. I, I know I didn't because it didn't matter to me. I was just so grateful. There was something, I can't really, getting ready to go into an NFL game or walking into Madison Square Garden, like the
2: energy is like, I could just walking off the subway at Yankee Stadium and the energy outside of the stadium with everyone
1: walking and getting ready to go into the stadium and then you know handing your ticket to get through the turnstile and walk up the ramp at section 46 in the bleachers in Yankee Stadium and just the the mass humanity of everyone rooting for the same team And the smell and the people and you'd walk up. We were, it was just, it was unbelievable. I mean, I just remember that every single time we went to a game. And again, I didn't care where we were sitting. It didn't matter to me. It never even entered my mind. You know, growing up, watching Mickey Mantle play at Yankee Stadium. And now, you know, as a kid, you don't realize how great Mickey Mantle is. You don't, I mean, you realize he's a, a big deal, but you don't, at that point in my life, I didn't realize I'm watching a legendary figure in Mickey Mantle, you know, at Yankee stadium, but I used to love watching Johnny Unitas play. I mean, I, I I can't believe some of the legends of the game that I witnessed. I watched Jim Brown play in person, watch Johnny Unitas play in person, right? Bob Hayes, Roger Staubach. You know, I can go on and on. Both the AFL and the NFL. I mean, it's great. I watch Bobby Orr play. I watch Bobby freaking Orr play live at Madison Square Garden for a Rangers Bruins game. Bobby Orr. Right? I mean, baseball, I watch some of the great players in the history of the game play at Yankee Stadium. So, yeah, I'm blessed, and I'll never forget, never forget those days and walking into all of those venues as a kid. Nothing like it. Hey, Al. How are you, Al? Hey, Nate. Hey. Can you hear me? I sure can,
6: buddy. How are you? I'm good, man. This got my ears flushed, both sides. Sorry. I, d- I, didn't, mean to, I didn't mean to give you a visual on that, but oh, man. I, could, <laughs> I, was, I had a candle factory going on there, brother. Oh Lord! Yeah, you know what, I
1: don't need that visual. I don't need to hear about that. What else is going on? I got on? you.
6: I don't want, well, you know, I, I love your memories, man. And your dad, oh, he was salt of the earth, obviously, you know, he was just, uh, and you know, I had a memory, uh, uh, we went, my dad took me and my brother to Candlestick, 1970. It's May 12th. It's just like, a you know, sleepy Saturday afternoon. They're playing, playing the Padres. The game goes 15 innings. The Padres win it in the 15th, 17 to 16. Wow. Willie Mays hits two out and had 10 total bases and two homers. McCovey had a homer. Juan Marichal was in a rehab start and he got shelled. He got knocked out and the Padres... It was everything you could imagine. Seventeen to sixteen, buddy. I mean, that was like a football score, man. It was a it was a memory. I was like uh, twelve years old, man. And
1: yeah, you remember things like that, isn't it amazing? Um, great, great memories. I was at a Twire Night doubleheader in the late '60s with my father and my aunt and my brother. And my aunt worked in Tokyo at Newsweek magazine, and she had just flown it. She had just yeah. flown in that day, and you know, back then, you didn't fly nonstop from Tokyo to New York. I mean, you, you had to literally stop a couple different times. We went, this is unbelievable. We went to a night doubleheader that started at 530. The first game, the first game went 19 innings. And the second game, we were, we, my dad said, we have to go. We was like, we was, I'm not, not going to, we was like 1230 midnight. And my aunt is sleeping in the seats. And my dad goes, we have to go. And I'll never forget this. We got home and the game was
2: still going on.
1: You know, we were listening, we were, listening, we, were we were listening in the car on the radio for that Twine Night oh Doubleheader. They had a curfew back then, but I don't think they abided by the curfew. I think it was because it was the, that team's last visit in the Yankee Stadium. But I'll never forget going to that Twine Night Doubleheader. And I felt You know, I didn't feel bad for my aunt then, but years later, I felt so bad for my aunt that she just flown in from Tokyo and was exhausted. And we dragged, we took her to a twilight doubleheader at Yankee Stadium. That was funny.
6: Oh my God! Nineteen yep. innings yeah. in the first <laughs> game. Oh my God! It was oh, that's incredible. You know, the Candlestick you used to get the, an award if you if you stayed extra innings on a night game. They gave you I forget what the award was, but you know because it was so goddamn cold. Nate it was on the Hunter's Point. Yep. And I don't know. Yep. What moron? You talk about designing stadiums and where they set them, and you talk about Levi's and the PSL, but. Who, they, who it they built up it it was always windy. I mean, there was no such thing as a routine catch out there. I mean, Willie and for a while their candlestick was open in the back, so you could see the cars in the parking lot, and then they enclosed it, which didn't make the wind any better. It made it kind of worse because you didn't know which direction it was coming from. And if you if you if you stayed the full Amazing. extra innings, you got an award, because you couldn't drink a beer or any beer. At night games at Candlestick, you had to have the hard stuff because otherwise you would, you know, you would just freeze. But uh, that's one of my memories. And I love with you, though. I I didn't care where I sat as a kid. You know, my dad used to take me and my brother to Keystar Stadium before the Giants moved the uh, other Niners moved the Candlestick. And we saw some games at Keystar. We saw, you know, you talked about your guy, Larry Wilson, for the Cardinals. And I saw Johnny Unitas and the so Those in 1968, it was, I think, and that's when the Colts were in the Coltsville division. But we were in Kansas. I never cared, I didn't even think about it as a kid where I sat. I just was so thrilled to go to a game. And my dad always made sure because he didn't have a lot of money, and so he always made sure he'd take us to a giveaway. Like a bat bat day was like, Nate, this wasn't this was real, this is like a 30 ounce Louisville slugger. So that. That was my great memories of my dad Scrape yeah, scraped up whatever money he could. I got to see my Rams play for the first time at Candlestick. I was like fifteen. It was a, uh, and he scraped up the money. That was Chuck Knox's first year, and uh, Bloods Rams went twelve and two that year, and he he had a couple sacks in that game. But that's some of my memories. Real quick, though, and I'll let you go. Were you surprised at Tim Brando's uh, take on uh on the? the live tour and phil and those guys you know because uh, I, I took it like you were a little bit surprised when he said hey can you blame him because you know the money's it's the money's huge what was your what did you when you're surprised by that no i you know what I, I know no i wasn't that
1: surprised um because it's not just saudi arabia i mean again we just had the world go to beijing and go to the olympics and I think that yeah. you know uh, this is a really delicate situation. It really is. Um, I well, I don't, and I'll be very honest with you. Al, if somebody came up to me and offered me that kind of money to be the announcer for the tour, I, I don't know if I would say you no. Know, I'd have to really sit down and talk with people and and educate myself. It's a really delicate delicate topic. It really is.
2: I, I
6: Okay, you know, and I I appreciated that really in a way because at first I thought he'd give like the woke answer. And you know, you you know, Phil Mushnick and Costas have called called it blood money, and that's pretty harsh. You know, it's it, and you're right. People are just so. I was a bit surprised by that, and uh, but you're right. I mean, who's to say? Especially the guys who, like he said, <laughs> most of these guys, you know, they're they're not like up there like Phil. Bill. Phil's got quite a bit of money in his in his lifetime for earnings and some of those other guys maybe not so who's to say i'm turning i'm like that's a ton of money and you know i and i'm not surprised that bill got a got a an ovation and was very well received you know why i'm going to tell you my opinion now i want to hear your take and now let you go let's go take other calls i think the reaction was really kind of a blowback to, to, to woke i might be i could be way off here because I think people are just tired of woke, and I kind of think with the, what these guys are doing and it's blood money, it kind of feels a little woke to me when people are calling these guys out for the going under this golf tour. Um, and I think fans are just tired of it, and maybe that, that's my take. Do you think it might be something to that, or might just off base?
1: No, you know what? I no, I no, I don't. Uh, I disagree with that, and I'm going to tell you why. Um, the uh, many, many investigations in the 9-11 point to Saudi Arabia and 9-11 was next to December 7th, 1941. I think most people would agree the worst day uh, in the United States uh, history. And, you know, we shouldn't just turn our head from 9-11. The allegations against Saudi Arabia, the fact that I think all but three of the four of the terrorists were Saudis, uh, Osama bin Laden being saw. I mean, no, I, I think that we we need to examine that, and we can't just, we can't, we can't, I, how do I want to say this? I want to make sure I say this properly. We, nine right. eleven. Uh I, I don't know if we should be going over and participating in a country's league right. where there is very, very credible evidence of their yeah. participation in the events leading up to 9 11 and 9 11 itself i don't think we should just turn a blind eye to that
6: what do you what's your take Um were you surprised that phil was pretty well received and the fans were supportive uh did no, surprise you? no no it, it did not surprise me because i think
1: a lot of fans aren't educated uh enough to and, and i'm listen i wouldn't have booed phil but i wouldn't have cheered him either i don't know i, I i've been going back and forth on this almost every day When I get when I read more information, and so I'm kind of neutral on this right now. I all I know is the people that are upset that are saying it's blood money. I think it's justified. Um, The things that I've read, I think it is blood money. And the question is, how is that any different than you know wearing Nike apparel or uh, being a uh, being part of the Winter Olympics in China? Or I I I don't know. It's a very delicate topic. It really is. You
6: know, you could dig deep on just about any nike third world sweatshops nate these people are paying these people are working in, in substandard conditions they're not yep. there's no cal there's no osha over there man and they're they're getting they're getting slave wages and nike's making all the money and you can even say that about starbucks they're, they're being from ethiopia the farmers right. who, who make you know so you can just tie that in there i'll just leave you with happy birthday tomorrow man i hope you have a i know you're going to be celebrating watching hockey and thank you and uh and will, batter, yeah and then well, uh happy father's day to you have a great father's day yeah thank you and you go enjoy your day on father's day and uh i'll just say thank shoot you. the puck and have a good weekend <laughs> man.
1: all right take care bye-bye yeah some great memories um great great memories on uh we celebrate Uh, Father's Day. Have a great weekend, everybody. Really appreciate your support. Uh, Be well, and uh, we'll
2: talk to you on Monday. Until then, Grant Napier saying so long, everybody.